For those of you who remain, I'll invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10 as we continue our series, considering the devastating majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. In seminary, we called this the lettuce patch of Hebrews because it says, let us, let us, let us over and over again. And that is the sort of humor you learn in seminary and that I will not bring up any longer. Hebrews chapter 10, this is God's word. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is God's word. Let's pray that he would teach us. Heavenly Father, open our eyes and our hearts and our ears to your word. That it might not simply be a list of things that we need to do. That we might behold Christ and understand this new and living way that he has opened for us, that we might live in it. Do this for his glory. We ask it in his name. Amen. Do you know what it means to live life, all of life, in the presence of God? I can't count myself any great expert on that, even though I've been a pastor for some time. And yet, the book of Hebrews is making the case over and over and over and over again that the essence of Christianity, if you were to boil it down, the essence of it is that Christianity is life lived in the very presence of God. This is... The whole point, why we finally got to the therefore, after three or four chapters now, the author of Hebrews comes to the point, therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy places through this new and living way, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to him. The Lord Jesus Christ, he serves as our great high priest, not simply to attract our attention and admiration, but to invite us in to the holiest of holy places, into the very presence of God where we might live all of life. We had friends not so long ago who invited us to come join them for dinner at the country club, which is nice because we aren't members and never will be members of the country club. Nothing against it. Just not in our budget. It was great food. 
It's great service. It's a great time. We got to sit in the special seat, like right there at the windows. We're over the water, and as the sun's going down, it was just a wonderful evening. How strange would it have been, though? They had invited us to dinner at the club and asked us to stand on the outside around the windows and watch them eat. We would not have accepted any future invitations from them, I'm sure. It's a bizarre idea. It's, it's incomprehensible on the face of it. And yet, all too often, we approach the Christian life as if it is simply something for us to observe and admire in Jesus. Now, in the Old Covenant, our author has gone to great lengths to make the point that at many times, the people of God were left to simply watch the priests perform their duties, especially the high priest, and especially on the Day of Atonement, where only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God. And all the people of God could do was watch from afar. But it is not so in Jesus. He invites us in. He has cleared the way. He has opened a new and living way for us to enter those holy places. That we might draw near to our Heavenly Father and live all of life in His presence now and forever. But do you know what that means? Do you know how to do that? Do you know what it looks like, what it feels like, what it is like to live life in God's presence? Or is it a mystery to you? Our author wants to give us some clear direction. And he points us to three critical things that characterize a life lived in God's presence. And the first is this. That we draw near to God's presence by faith. You see this here in verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. This is a, a good admonition for us to consider because all too often we start to think of the Christian life in terms of what good Christians do. Good Christians have a quiet time. You might not know what a quiet time is, but good Christians have them, I'm told. Good Christians do this. Good Christians do that. This is how good Christians vote. This is how, this is how good Christians act. These are the good things that good Christians say. And yet, the book of Hebrews is pointing us to a totally different way of living. It's oppressive, isn't it? Like when the boss is hanging over your shoulder and you know that you're supposed to do the job a certain way, but here's quality control and they're just staring. Soccer season has started. I'm coaching uh, the varsity girls soccer team at Summit and they're running drills and running drills. And that's the best part of being coaches. I get to make other people run and run drills. But inevitably, I'm watching from afar, and they're doing great. And as soon as I step up close and they notice I'm there, they start messing up. Oh, and they're like, it's because you're here, coach. It's oppressive to always feel like we've just got to do the right things. And yet, the author of Hebrews says the Christian life is not characterized by such oppression. We are invited to draw near to God, our Heavenly Father, 
into the holy places in full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is the heart of the gospel message of the good news that we have in Jesus. That the the way into God's presence isn't opened by our performance. The way into God's presence was opened by Jesus' work on the cross. And we enter into the presence of God through him, through his sacrifice on our behalf, We're on the cross. He bore all of our guilt, all of our shame in his body. He bore the consequence of everything in your life that could possibly alienate you from God. And he rose again to newness of life to prove that we have in him full assurance to enter into God's presence. Maybe you have found yourself trying to do that and your conscience nags at you, but does does God know? Has God seen? Who do you think you are? And what the gospel declares is who you are matters less than whose you are. And in Christ... We have free and bold access into the presence of God. But what does this mean? What does this mean for living life, all of life in God's presence? What does it mean that Christ opens the way for us to delight in that presence? To enter boldly in. This this faith, this belief that we have, this This surety and trust that we have that Christ has cleared the way ought to impress itself on every aspect of the Christian life. Why do you read your Bible when you read your Bible? How? What characterizes your Bible reading? Is it something you do because you showed up at church and the pastor said, turn to page whatever, and and so you just did it because you had to? Do you open up the Bible during the week and just hoping that you'll get some horoscope-like clue for how to live your best life now? Do you open it up in those times when your conscience is oppressing you with guilt and you're hoping to find some way to clear your conscience so that you can get through your day? Or do you come to the scriptures and open them up with the faith and the trust that in these pages, Christ is revealed to you in all of his beauty and all of his glory and all that he has done for you is laid bare that you might grow in your confidence to live freely and boldly and the joy and delight of the presence of God. How do you pray? 
Do you pray as one who just goes through the motions knowing that it's something you're supposed to do? And so you have those prayers that you say, God is great, God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Good bread, good meat. Good God, let's eat. Don't say that one at Thanksgiving dinner. I learned the hard way. Do you just pray these ritual prayers without any heart in them? Because that's what good Christians do. Do you pray feeling like your words just keep bouncing off the ceiling and you're hoping that maybe if you use the right words or have the right sincerity or you just grit your teeth hard enough or say it loud enough or bow low enough that maybe you can lob them a little higher and they might get to the throne room of God eventually. Do you pray just out of sheer desperation and you don't know what else to do? Or do you pray by faith, believing what God himself has said, that we don't just have a representative in the holy places that we're calling out to from afar. But we have a high priest who has gone into the Holy of Holies and has cleared the way for us to join him there where we can lay every prayer and petition at the feet of our God who is not only able to answer them above and beyond all that we can ask or imagine, but who wants to hear the cries of his children and wants them to unburden their hearts before him. How do we take the sacraments? As a ritual thinking that when we eat and drink that somehow God, good things will happen to us. It's our little Christianized rabbit's foot that we get to enjoy every week to bring good things. Or do we come to the Lord's table in faith? knowing that through these ordinary elements, bread and wine, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ meets with his people and abounds to them with the grace that they need. We draw near to God's presence by faith believing that Christ has indeed cleared the way for us to live in God's presence without fear. Do you believe it? The second thing I want us to see is that we draw near to God's presence with hope. You see this in verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. One of the most difficult things about living the Christian life is that we have to live the Christian life here. And there are all sorts of trials and miseries and difficulties that beset us. From within our own hearts, to within our own families, to within our own communities, in our bodies, in our souls, we are beset with difficulty in this life. 
And it can be hard sometimes to see where it's all heading. What the light at the end of the tunnel is supposed to be. We renovated our bathroom not so recently. And Tracy and I sort of had a vision for what the end product was going to look like, like where things were going to go and colors and themes and that sort of thing. And having a vision for where you're going is nice because you have to like order all the materials ahead of time and you kind of need to know where you're heading. But you know what's better than having a vision? It's having a contractor that knows what he's doing because he came in and said, that won't work. Like, like there, you can't do what you want to do. There's not enough room. But if we did this, and it's like, oh, like we have a new closet now all of a sudden. We didn't even, we had a vision. But he had the experience and the wherewithal and the know-how to actually bring a vision to life. Notice, notice what verse 23 tells us. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope, right? Through all the trials and tribulations and difficulties of this life, we're called to have hope and to hold fast to it. But why and how? It's not because we somehow can always see the light at the end of the tunnel. It's because he who promised is faithful. It's one thing for us to have that hope of everlasting life. It's something else entirely to know that that hope of everlasting life rests in our Lord Jesus Christ, who is faithful, in whom every promise of God is yes and amen. And the hope that we're offered isn't wishful thinking. It isn't just, well, you know, everything works out. Whatever will be, will be. Whatever pop song decides to take some truncated form of Christian theology. No. He who promised is faithful. And no matter how dark this life may get, no matter how much misery may oppress you, he who promised is faithful. And you can hold fast to that hope. You can have that confidence. You can confess again and again and again, my God is able. See, the Lord Jesus Christ as our great high priest in the presence of God. He is, he is demonstrating to us that our Our lives can only go deeper into God's presence. Like whatever alienation you might feel now, whatever circumstances in life are distracting you, whatever hardship you may be encountering that is hindering your ability to recognize who God is and where he is, The fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is in the holy places right now and is calling us to join him there is a promise from the one who is faithful to keep his promises that we can, from this point forward, only go deeper into God's presence until the day when we see him face to face. 
does that look like? How do we live life in God's presence with hope? It means that there is no uncertainty that you face that is the final word. There's so many things we don't know, right? We don't know how our children are going to turn out. We don't know if there's a a cure. We don't know how our lives are going to turn out. We don't know if we're going to be happy at this new job. We don't know if the car is going to break down tomorrow. We don't know if our beloved friend is going to get a word that it's no longer in remission. We just don't know. That uncertainty can be paralyzing. But when we take hold of the hope that we have, we know that that uncertainty isn't the last word. And we don't have to know everything. We know that he who promised is faithful, and he's promised a new heavens and a new earth, and a day where he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. It's it's to live out that hope in our marriages, believing that the God who is inviting us to draw nearer and nearer to him has extended the same invitation to our spouse and that his work in each of us isn't done. And so we can step deeper and deeper into the hard conversations, not to win, not to stand victorious over the, the... Our enemy, because our enemy is not our spouse. But to draw nearer to God together in hope. He is even able to bring healing to some of the most hurtful things we could ever possibly have experienced. To live all of life in God's presence with hope is even to live in the mundane Knowing that God hasn't forgotten you or abandoned you or left you to this boring drudgery of an existence. He who promised is faithful and he's only drawing you deeper. We draw near to God's presence with hope. The last thing I want you to see is that we draw near to God's presence in love. It's easy for me, and maybe it's true for you too, to talk about these things and start getting focused on me. What does it mean for me to live life in God's presence? What needs to change about me? Maybe I need to toughen up. Maybe I need to push through. Maybe I need to obey more. Maybe I need to think differently. And and it's really easy to start living like I'm on an island, stranded by myself. But that's not what the author of Hebrews tells us. Let us consider then, as we draw near to God, how to stir one another up to love and good works, 
not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. There are, there are, there's a group of people, maybe several groups of people, even in this congregation, that have expended enormous amounts of energy, time, logistical work, texting on endless threads to coordinate a time to get together to play a board game called Twilight Imperium. Some of you are like, I could not care less. And that's okay. Just know they've spent, they've spent hours perusing the rules ahead of time, watching videos on strategies, all for the sole reason of getting together and having fun with other people. There are others who scheduled at a time I could not attend to my dismay to go see Dune 2. There are people who have read the books. They actually know the lore. All so that they could go together to enjoy a movie. Because watching a movie by yourself is fine, I guess. But it's really boring. It's much more fun to get together and talk about it with other people. I have recommended science fiction books that are tedious and long to a certain individual who will go unnamed, who has not read them yet, just so I can talk to somebody about it. I need to talk to somebody about it without spoiling the plot. If we can embrace all of this tedium and all of these rules and all of this research just to get together to have fun over a board game or a movie or books or quilting or gardening or whatever your hobby happens to be, how much more in the power of the Holy Spirit in light of the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ, do we not have a reason to gather together to, to take delight and joy in one another? In what our God is doing in us and through us and for us to invest in one another, to open up the scriptures together, not just to learn archaic laws and rules, but together to discuss delight and the wonder and the majesty of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and what it means for us to stir one another up towards love and good deeds, to go out into our communities to serve because we have inherited something glorious. We have a great high priest who doesn't just stand far off in the Holy of Holies and and invite us to watch him do religious things. We have a great high priest who has invited us into the presence of God to participate with him in what God is doing in this world. And what God is doing in this world is using his people who live life more and more in the presence of God to invite others into that same way of living. Just as our Lord Jesus Christ has invited us. There is an evangelistic zeal to the high priesthood of Christ. That he wants to gather more and more 
and more people in. And as we learn what it means to live life in God's presence, we will come to share that love for others. That we would learn more and more to invite others in. See who Christ is. See what he has done. Learn what it means to stir one another up towards love and good works. That we together might more and more live in the glory and light of his presence. This is what it means to draw near to God's presence in love. It means that we are never thinking about it as isolated individuals. But always together. Always with one another even with those people that aggravate and irritate us, because by golly, we are going to have to learn to live with them for eternity. Let's start now. It means we don't forsake meeting together. It means that we have a live stream so that when you're homesick, you're not disconnected, but it's never a replacement for getting together and encouraging one another. And we need encouragement, don't we? The day is drawing near. This isn't all there is. There is more yet to come. God has not yet revealed the fullness of his glory. Hang on with me, with us. It means... That we need to consider how to stir one another up to love and good works because love and good works don't come naturally to us. But if we are to grow more and more like our Lord Jesus Christ, we need to grow more and more in these things that He is all love and all goodness. And we need one another for accountability, for encouragement, for grace when we fail. Christ equips us not just to live in the presence of God, but to learn to share that with others, with one another, and with those who even have yet to hear. Look, I did a lot of years of engineering school, more than maybe I'd like to admit, only to go into the ministry, but that's okay. Just don't ask me to build a machine now. But when I started out as a freshman in mechanical engineering, we got this book in our first thermodynamics class that had all these charts in the back, and we learned really quickly that all the answers to all the problems were just in the charts. It was so easy. Like, somebody had already done the work, and then computer programs were written. Like, all you had to do was push the button, and boop, there's the answer. It was incredible. I'm like, why am I going to college for this? Just, it's, the program is a lot cheaper. Of course, then when we got to my senior year and graduate level stuff, and we had these big projects for the real world, we found out that those charts only went so far. Like if you didn't understand what was going on, if you didn't understand the fundamental principles and laws, you wouldn't know when the computer was spitting out nonsense. You wouldn't know, oh, we've reached the elasticity curve. You wouldn't know, oh, that's a shock wave. You wouldn't know these things. 
if you didn't, if you just thought that mechanical engineering was just pushing the button. How much more when we're talking about the Christian life? You, you cannot live the Christian life effectively, meaningfully, maybe even at all. You cannot live the Christian life disconnected from Christ. Disconnected from the presence of God. From the mundane to the trials to marriage to parenting to work to everything. The Christian life is never divorced from a deep personal connection to our Lord Jesus Christ, that great high priest who invites us into the presence of God. Because that is the essence of Christianity. It is all of life lived in God's presence, in faith, in hope, and in love. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, give us eyes to see what it is that our Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. That we might believe it. That we might not doubt that he has sprinkled our hearts clean from an evil conscience. Or that we might hold fast to that hope knowing that no trial, no temptation can beset us where God will prove to be unfaithful. He has promised. He is faithful. Let us hold fast that confession. And let us live this out in steadfast love for one another and for you. That we would keep spurring one another on, encouraging one another, stirring one another up, until we see you face to face. Do all of this, that we might be shaped and formed more and more in Christ's image, in Christ's likeness, that we might understand more and more what it means for us to live all of life, now until eternity, in the presence of God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.